You are Locked On Marlins, your daily podcast on the Miami Marlins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to the Locked On Marlins podcast, your only daily Miami Marlins podcast. As always, I'm your host, Aram Layton. I'm a Marlins writer as well as a minor league play-by-play broadcaster. And this is episode number 100 of Locked On Marlins. Pretty crazy to think that we hit triple digits. Thank you for some of you that have been along for the whole ride. Those that are newer, welcome. If this is the first episode you're listening to, then welcome at triple digits. Hopefully 100 more on the way. It has been a blast being able to talk Marlins with you, being able to have some fun discussion, and be able to provide any coverage I can and insight. And that's just what I'm going to do in this episode, except it's going to be reliever-related. Initially, I was going to do a mailbag, but then I got so many questions censored around relievers that I realized, hey, why don't we just do a reliever-centered episode where there's so many different bullpen arms that the Marlins could potentially go get that I wanted to go over some of the candidates because the Marlins are going to have to make some moves for the bullpen. I think that is the most pressing issue. I've talked about catcher, and I think that's up there, but I would probably venture to say that bullpen is the most pressing issue for this ball club. You don't want to have too much pressure on these young starting pitchers to go deep into games. You don't want to feel like you have to stretch them out. And I think taking that raise mold is a perfect example. Some young, very good starting pitchers, but not having the pressure on trying to stretch them to seven, eight innings, or even six or seven sometimes, where you don't have the bullpen arms and you're so worried about trying to bridge the gap to the eighth and ninth inning guys, the only guys you can count on, and you don't have anybody in the middle. The Marlins right now don't really even have an eighth or ninth inning guy outside of Yemi Garcia. Brad Boxberger is a free agent right now. The Marlins let Brandon Kinsler go by declining his option. Maybe he comes back for cheaper. We'll have to wait and see. But still, you don't really have that high leverage arm that you can really count on. James Hoyt looking like one of the potential options if it were if the season were to start tomorrow. That would probably be shouldering some of the most high leverage situations. Yes, he did that this past year. But I think the Marlins' goal is to not have James Hoyt shouldering a majority of the high leverage situations declining Brandon Kinsler's option, I think to me, is very clearly a message that the Marlins want to spend on the bullpen just differently. I think that that money is going to go towards the bullpen just in a different area or cheaper for Kinsler than repurposed to some other arms as well. There are dozens of relief arms on the market this year, and it's going to be interesting to see how all the dominoes fall because of how weird everything is right now. There's some high-level arms that I think a lot of people are focused on, and I'm going to briefly touch on those guys. But when I look at some of the secondary and tertiary arms that you at least considered secondary and tertiary in terms of market value and how coveted they are, to me, they're not that far off from some of the tier one, so to speak, relievers, unless you're getting Liam Hendricks. I don't think it really makes sense to pony up and pay this extra, very expensive paycheck to one of these more established relievers. If you can find somebody that's a little bit more of the middle ground, and I'm going to provide some of those examples and some of those candidates as well. There's also the fact that you can trade, right? But there's 
I don't want to force a reliever trade for many reasons. Relievers are incredibly volatile, as we all know, and giving up prospect capital for a reliever that could end up struggling, we've seen this before, we've watched this movie before, it's not the way to go. But if you can get a controllable young arm, a young reliever that you see some projection on, then yeah, go get them at a decent price because the Marlins do have a lot of prospect capital. For example, if the Marlins can go get a Tanner Scott instead of having to pay for a Brad Hand, I would rather trade for a Tanner Scott. So Tanner Scott's a left-handed pitcher with the Orioles, and I know it's just so hard to keep up with all of these relievers. Someone just shoots out a reliever's name, and you're like, I've never heard of that guy. No way he's that good. Then you pull up his numbers and see he has just ridiculous strikeout rate. Welcome to baseball in 2020, where everybody throws 98 miles an hour. Tanner Scott does it from the left side. He spins the crap out of the ball, too. Elite spin rates on the fastball and slider. It's a two-pitch mix. Fastball runs up to 97-98. The slider is right around the mid-80s and maybe an elite pitch. I mean, it is an elite pitch. Opponents 3-for-38 against it. That's a 079 batting average against that slider. And he's dirt cheap, minimum salary with control until 2025. So he's not going to come cheap prospect-wise, right? This is a 28-year-old with control all the way to 2025 that is having this spectacular year this past year. And this was a guy that had that projection all along. It was just whether he could put it together. The Orioles were trying him as a starter, just hoping that he would have just fringe control. Not even good control, just fringe average control because his stuff was so good. If he could just have it remotely in the strike zone, he would be okay. For him, that was the big problem. He couldn't even get it remotely in the strike zone. And still, you know, the command is not his strong suit. He was much better this year, cutting the walk rate down to 11%, which is good enough as a reliever, but now no longer making starts, now focused as a high leverage arm. There's less pressure on him to throw those strikes because he can do it for an inning and make it work. His 26% K rate is just fantastic from the left side, a 131 ERA in this past season, over 25 games. He pitched 20 and two thirds innings, a 1.06 whip. So very good. Very good spin rates and just two quality pitches with that fastball slider combo. He can get right-handers out. He is disgusting to left-handers. I love I love everything about this guy. And he won't come cheap prospect-wise. But would you rather give up? I'm not saying the Marlins are going to have to give up a top 100 guy. They're just going to have to go into their probably the teens of their top 30 and part with one guy and then some mid-level fillers to go get a Tanner Scott. I would probably rather do that than give Brad Hand multiple years because Brad Hand is going to get paid. He's going to get a decent amount of money and he's going to want more than one year on his deal, especially with everything going on right now. But Hand is just so established that he's going to command multiple years. I don't want to give a reliever multiple years of multiple million dollars because of their volatility. I would rather trade for a reliever and not really feel it in my system because of how good the Marlins system is by going to get a Tanner Scott, who is more of an in-between, right? If we're talking about Josh Hader, you're going to give up way too much and it's not worth it. If we're talking about a Rizella Iglesias, even that price tag I think is too high. Tanner Scott is a candidate that His price might get driven up because everyone's looking at a middle ground guy that won't be too, too expensive, but the Marlins can afford to give up a couple mid-level prospects like a Jorge Guzman and one or two other guys to go get a Tanner Scott 
And they're okay with that. I think I would be perfectly fine with that because if you give up a lottery ticket, you can afford to give up some of those lottery tickets to go get somebody that's more established at this point. The Marlins are in a position now to be able to do that, whether they specifically trade Guzman or not. I don't know if I want to give up on him because he's one of my options to actually bolster this bullpen if it works out. But I just wanted to kind of make that point of it is better in certain situations to give up some prospect capital if it's not elite prospects, which I don't think you ever would give up now that we know for a reliever than to give multiple years and handcuff yourself financially to a Brad Hand or somebody along those lines. Liam Hendricks is going to be out of the Marlins price range. Blake Trinan, if the Marlins want to use that Brandon Kinsler money, that's a candidate. They could use that money in a few different areas for some higher level prospects like an Alex Colome, or prospects, for higher level free agents, excuse me, like an Alex Colome or one of those guys. But personally, I would rather get multiple guys that are cheaper and have the upside, like a Trevor May. Trevor May is a much better option, personally, I think, than a Blake Trinan. Do you want a guy that came off of the year of his career two years ago and hasn't been able to replicate it? Or do you want a guy that's on an upward trend, 31 years old, but an upside play? Just because he's 31 does not mean he doesn't have upside. He actually really continues to get better and I think he can even get even better this coming year and be a potential closer. May got Tommy John surgery two years ago and since that Tommy John he has seen his velocity go up from 94 miles per hour the next year to 95.5 miles per hour then this past year 96.3 miles per hour on the fastball. Whether he can sustain that in a full season will remain to be seen but he did sustain it the year before this past season at 95.5, which was a big jump from his pre-Tommy John velocity. His numbers, pretty solid. 24 games this past year, 23 and a third innings for the Twins, 38 strikeouts, a 3.86 ERA, but a 3.62 FIP. His ERA was a little bit inflated due to some bad luck, a 3.26 BABIP, which means balls were kind of just finding the holes for him. But the whiff numbers are elite. Top five percentile, in swing and miss figures, whether it's K rate, whether it's whiff percentage, chase percentage, he gets people to swing at everything because his slider is gross and his slider has gained one and a half miles per hour over the last year as well. Fastball slider mix for him, but the slider is so good that he is able to just get guys to whiff. I think May has a potential closer profile to him because of the swings and misses he gets because of the fact that his velo continues to climb. But even if he's not, this is a guy that is your high leverage setup man that is a great pairing with Yemi Garcia and you can kind of ride the hot hand. I think the Marlins are a good example of a team that probably won't have that clear-cut closer. I don't know if they need it. They can go more with the riding the hot hand like a lot of the teams do nowadays, and I think that's the better move. Also, sometimes the save comes in the eighth inning or the seventh inning, right? If you have Tanner Scott, who picked up a couple of saves this past year, so did May, if you got three left-handers in a row. Let's say you're playing the Dodgers and it's Corey Seager. And then I know Jock Peterson doesn't play for them anymore, but Corey Seager, Jock Peterson, and then Cody Bellinger. You have those three lefties in a row in the eighth inning of a one-run game. That's your ninth inning because you get those three guys out with Tanner Scott, even though he's, let's say, your closer at that point. I'm putting him in in the eighth inning. Like Just because we have this idea that the best guy, the closer, has to pitch the ninth, I think that thought has kind of, that ship has sailed. Because 
Would you rather put in a right-hander in the eighth inning to face those three bashing lefties that could leave the yard with one swing and then go into the ninth inning and Tanner Scott faces Justin Turner and then two other right-handed hitters? Like, it's different nowadays, and you've got to do it matchup-wise, and that's why I think the Marlins need to put themselves in a good position there. I have a couple interesting candidates that I think would be cheap and fun for the Marlins to bring back. I will talk about those couple guys in a second here, and then the current guys that the Marlins have and how they fit into the shuffle as well and what do I expect from them this coming year. A reminder that this episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar has 18 delicious flavors, six new ones. They're covered in chocolate, easy to chew, low in calories, low in sugar, low in carbs, high in protein, everything you could want in a protein bar that's perfect for a keto diet. If you go to BuiltBar.com right now and use the promo code LOCKEDON, you get 20% off your next order. That's BuiltBar.com, promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off your next order and a free cooler while supplies last. Also keep an eye out for some Black Friday deals. Back to the Marlins bullpen. This is where there's a couple candidates that would make me very, very happy. And number one is none other than Sergio Romo. I would love to bring this guy home. Sergio Romo is continuing to just be ageless. I thought he looked good this past year with the Twins. I think he was not quite as sharp as he was at times with the Marlins last year. He's not a closer anymore. He can be a guy that Closes some games here and there. He did pick up five saves this past year. The slider has not taken a hit whatsoever, which is really his bread and butter because he manipulates it. He throws you three different sliders in one at bat and you don't know what hits you. It's still a great pitch. He had the 4.05 ERA this past year, but the peripherals are still great. He was in the better half of the league. In just about every single analytical stat and every single baseball savant statistic. So I still think he's got something there. The K rate did not drop at all, 26% still. 182 opponent batting average on that slider. He still has it, even though he's 38 years old. Velo has never been a factor for him. He works mid to high 80s, so that's never going to be an issue. And how nice would it be to have this guy back home? This Marlins team, I say back home, he was with the Marlins for half a year, but that's what it felt like. It felt like he was just, he belonged here. And this was such a likable team. And I really did have some moments this year where I was like, man, Sergio Romo should be a part of this special run. And I know the Marlins made a great deal to go get Luan Diaz, and I wouldn't take it back at all. It's just, it was hard. That was the nature of the business and just... Having Sergio Romo leave, such a likable dude, so much fun in the clubhouse. Anytime I got a chance to ask him some questions, he was always a blast and so personable. And I think he's the same way with his teammates. And he's just a guy you want. He's a winner. He has closed out World Series games time and time again with the Giants. He is just a great dude. And I would love to have him just in the clubhouse. He could replace that old guy, Brandon Kinsler role, where he'll be much cheaper and he clearly loved his time in Miami. He didn't even rule out coming back. This would be a great time for him to come back. He would be a cheap option. He could still shoulder some important innings as a seventh inning guy and the occasional closer. And the peripherals are still good. I still think he'll get outs. I still think he'll be a legitimate major league reliever that can get you those swings and misses when you need them. Like I said, the K right still there at 26% really hasn't taken a hit at all. It would be a blast to add him to the mix of this already incredibly likable and fun team. One other guy that is a candidate to bring over, Tommy Canely. 
I think Canley's being a little bit of an afterthought right now, having he only threw one inning this year for the Yankees. He elected free agency instead of a minor league assignment. But in 2019, he was spectacular. Top 5% in K rate and whiff percentage, top 10% in just about everything else, XERA, expected batting average, expected slugging, expected anything. He was in the top 10%. His changeup, he's a fastball changeup guy. The changeup is elite. 16 for 123 hitters were against that changeup with 67 Ks. He throws it just as much as the fastball. It's that two-pitch mix, and it is really good. He is has some ties to South Florida. Went to Lynn University, probably one of the most notable players out of Lynn University, and has had a great career since. It really clicked for him in 19. Yes, he battled some injuries this year, so we'll have to see how he comes back, but he would be a cheap option that could be a good high-ceiling type of guy to pick up. I think him and Trevor May could both be huge upside pickups with a Sergio Romo being more of a solid high floor type of dude that you know how he's going to do. Canely, very much an interesting option, I think, for the Marlins and another guy with great swing and miss numbers. So as for the bullpen as we know it, Yimmy Garcia is going to be a staple in the back end. James Hoyt, assuming he continues what he did last year, will be a staple. Richard Blyer, another guy that will get you the ground balls when you really need it. Then those swing men, Dan Castano, Nick Neidert, they're going to be in the mix no matter what. I don't think they crack the rotation unless the Marlins go out and make some moves, but they're going to be swing men, make some spot starts, and pitch those long relief opportunities. I think both of those guys are just not really cut for the bullpen. They don't get swings and misses. They pitch to contact. Yes, they can eat innings when you need it, but you don't really want two guys like that in your bullpen. You, you take one as a swingman, but I like to have more swing and miss in my bullpen. Niter and Castano are not those types of dudes, but I'm fine with that for now. And once we figure out what they're going to do with them and what their role is going to be more, then you can figure it out from there. Marlins have to see what they have with Alex Vesia was so good in the minor leagues. Let's see if it can translate to the major league level in short stints this year. It did not really look good for him, but you know, it wasn't a lot. It was a weird year. We had everything going on. So let's see how Vesia bounces back. That would be a huge plus for the Marlins. Ryan Stanek, same story. Can he be even a fraction of what he was in Tampa? He just does not look good. His command is iffy all around, just has not been the guy that the Marlins thought they acquired. And as I always say, if the race trades you someone, it's probably not good news. And they must have seen something with Ryan Stanek because he has been dreadful since he came over. An important guy that I think is a little bit of an afterthought for the Marlins, or not for the actual Marlins, but I think just for people that are looking forward to the bullpen, Jeff Brigham. Jeff Brigham throws cheese, upper 90s fast fastball, a nice hammer. When everything's going for him, he's a very solid middle relief option. He was hurt most of the year, only through one inning. That's going to be a big boost and bolster to the pen. Then how about Jorge Guzman and Jordan Holloway? Those guys are incredibly volatile. We don't know what's going to happen. They both throw triple digits. They both are trying to find their secondary stuff. But if just one of the two can figure it out as a reliever, the Marlins would take that because they really need to get something out of one of those two guys. Just so much ability in those arms and so much potential. It just has not clicked for either of them strike throwing wise and getting the swings and misses that they should. Holloway is a reliever through and through at this point. I don't think there's ever going to be a chance that he's a starter anymore. Guzman is kind of trending towards that as well. But I think he needs to fully embrace the reliever role at this point, even though the Marlins continue to try him as a starter. Go with the two-pitch mix of a fastball and really hone in on the slider and just become a solid 
solid rotation arm or bullpen arm, excuse me, as a power pitcher. Guzman has every tool you could ask for. He just needs to be able to get more swings and misses. And I think a move to the bullpen and a focus on two pitches would really do that for him. If you have any questions on any other potential reliever candidates, fire me a tweet. I'll give you my thoughts on them and go from there. But there's definitely a ton of options. If I wanted to go through all of them, I'd be on here for an hour. But these are some of my more interesting and more likely potential candidates. Let me know what you think at RMLateNate on Twitter at Locked on Marlins on Twitter. Thank you so much for listening all the way through and helping me to 100 episodes. It is crazy to hit triple digits. If you could please give me a rating and let me know how I'm doing on the Apple Podcast app, I would really appreciate it. Thank you so much for supporting through these 100 episodes. And we're at 50 episodes about to be on Locked On MLB Prospects as well. So for those of you that listen to both, thank you so much for not getting tired of me and for all the support. I really appreciate you. Looking forward to talking Marlins baseball with you tomorrow.